Society 13 Podcast Network. Redefining Podcasts. Society-13.com I like to listen. Welcome to Channel 9 of the STRY Radio Network, where stories live. Hi, this is Daniel Foytek. I am one of the creators and producers for The Lift, and I want to welcome you to the second annual Halloween special for The Lift and the unofficial launch for Season 2. Before we dive into the story today, and it's a great one, I wanted to say thank you. First, to our friend David Cummings over at the No Sleep Podcast for telling his listeners about us. I know that's how many of you found us, and I can't thank him enough for helping all of you find your way here. If there are any of you who haven't heard of the No Sleep Podcast, do go give them a listen. They do a full-on audio play production of all their stories, and they have a new show for you every week. Also, thanks to all of you for sharing the show and listening, and of course for the amazing and humbling reviews on iTunes. It means so much to all of us that you've all enjoyed Season 1 so much. As of this recording, 125 of you have taken the time to review the show, with 122 of you giving Victoria 5 gold stars. So thank you. I'm I don't know how I'm flabbergasted. Thanks to Rode Microphones for the equipment we needed to take the audio to a new level in season two. All the audio recorded in-house for the show is recorded on Rode Microphones and they make some great microphones. So you're really going to hear a difference. Thanks most of all to all of our Patreon supporters. Putting together a show like The Lift takes a huge investment in time and money and your support on Patreon allows us to keep the episodes coming. So big thanks to Julie Collins, Alyssa G, Josh Wood, Emily Sherman, Kyle Walker, Christopher Nelson, Jennifer Clickenbeard, Mike Kenny, Diane Student, John Grills, and Pulsating. Without you, the show would not be possible. If you'd like to support the show and get cool rewards, head over to support.victoriaslift.com. With your support, we can make this show something truly amazing. Our official launch for Season 2 will be November 16th with a wonderful tale by K.B. Goddard, making her debut on the lift with The Lost Library. It's a story that is not only beautifully written, but it will give you some insight into how Victoria gets her information and maybe a hint or two about why the building was originally built. Our sister podcast, The Wicked Library, is now in Season 7. It is a horror anthology podcast featuring the work of authors you've heard here on The Lift, as well as names like Jessica McHugh, Neil Gaiman, Owl Going Back, Daniel Knopf, and more. The most recent episode is narrated by Amber Collins, who lends her voice to Victoria. If you've ever wanted to hear what she sounds like when she's not being Victoria... Go check it out. That's Season 7, Episode 3, so Episode 703 of The Wicked Library. And lastly, our newest podcast, The Carrotfield Chronicles, written by Vincent Asaro, will be debuting very soon. We'll have updates for you here 
first. Now, because Victoria is anxious to share her newest story with you, we'll let Gwendolyn Keist say hello before we share her story, The Last Costume Change, as narrated by Cynthia Lohman and featuring the music of John Nespazinski. For more info on the production and a look at Stephen Matiko's companion artwork for today's story, visit us at victoriaslift.com. Now, without further ado, let's go for a ride. Hi, this is Gwendolyn Keist, and I'm the writer for today's episode of The Lift, The Last Costume Change. If you enjoy the story, you can find more of my work at gwendolynkeist.com. Find more episodes of The Lift at victoriaslift.com. I have lost so much. My name is Victoria. I am bound to this place, charged with guiding those who must choose. Don't be afraid. I can never again be the little girl I was. Will you accept your fate? I have my music box and a library lost. But I sometimes feel very alone. Won't you join me? It's time for your ride on the lift. <laughs> Don't be afraid. The costume for the party is all wrong. I was supposed to be a sorceress. Gorgeous and fearsome. Wrapped in a billowing cape with black satin adorning the collar. Instead, here I stand in the attic, gazing into a dust-caked mirror, wearing a bubblegum-colored moo-moo that looks less like a sorceress and more like the prickled skin of a baby rat. This is my cousin Theodora's fault. I'll take care of everything, she said, and I knew there was no point in arguing with her. She's a whole three weeks older than me and uses it to her every advantage. Like those 21 days blessed her with wisdom or fashion sense. These costumes aren't so bad, Theodora says, inching next to me in the mirror, dressed in her own shapeless gown the color of a rotten grape. We might as well be arrayed in two potato sacks dyed pink and purple with writ. Our next-door neighbor, Mrs. Marshall, tried, bless her little Halloween-loving heart. But when Theodora asked to borrow outfits yesterday, all she had were these two dresses. Five sizes, too big, and five decades out of style. At least Mrs. Marshall helped us. Anyone else on this block would have told Theodora's mother, my Aunt Fanny, what we were planning. My stomach cramps at the thought. Aunt Fanny won't even let us speak the H word in this house. Every October 31st, she organizes a protest downtown, hollering through her bullhorn about how Halloween is ruining today's youth. Theodora! Leslie! Her voice carries up the stairs like smoke in a burning building. Where are you? 
Be right there. We stuff the costumes in the corner where she won't look. Aunt Fanny never bothers with the attic. The past lives up there, Theodora always says, and my mother isn't fond of remembering. In this house, none of us are, but that doesn't stop the past from remembering us. Downstairs, Aunt Fanny greets us with a stack of plates. Here, she says, set the table. Like always, we do as she says. In the dining room, the window is open, and next door, Mrs. Marshall is baking. The warm comfort of apple pie and apple fritters and apple pandowdy wafts in through the screen. All of fall lives in her kitchen. Theodora and I huddle together, pretending her house is ours. Come away from there. Aunt Fanny shows us to the table and slams the window as if autumn's airborne and the scents of cinnamon and apple and nutmeg will corrupt our blood and transform us into scarecrows or goblins. That's how Aunt Fanny thinks, magically and in all the wrong ways. And don't even talk to her about pumpkins. She'll pontificate about the dangers for hours, like it's the gateway crop or something. Theodora and I retreat to our chairs without a word. Our stinky dinner of broiled liver and boiled cabbage practically peels the wallpaper from the ceiling. It doesn't do our bellies any favors either, but we never complain. Aunt Fanny won't take suggestions on the menu anyhow. I'll be back around 10, she says after dinner, bullhorn in hand. You girls be safe. The door locks behind her, and Theodore and I wait, barely a breath between us. When we're sure she won't double back, we race up the stairs to dress. Beneath the naked bulb of the attic, we hunch among chipped porcelain keepsakes and splintered rocking horses and photo albums of me and my parents, the curled edges of the pictures, yellowed and nearly forgotten, images of jubilant afternoons lost in the haze of childhood. That's everything I have to remember them, unless you count the scar across my belly where the doctors sewed me back together like a rag doll after the accident. My parents weren't so fortunate. There wasn't enough left of them to stitch them into one person, let alone two. We buried Ash. I tell myself that's what the past is too. Ash, cinders, something hardly there at all. I wish I could believe it. Theodore and I yank on the dresses, our arms swimming through the bulky sleeves. My body twisted inside the fabric. I dance in circles to free myself, and my foot nudges something in the corner. Instantly, a tangle of metal and dried tobacco avalanches to the floor. The smell is heavy and lonesome. My cheeks flush. I'm sorry. I whisper, and Theodore shrugs like it's nothing. It's more than nothing, though. The tobacco tins belong to her father, the only souvenirs he left behind. She doesn't talk about him, 
not even when he sends her a birthday card every September, despite the fact she was born in June. With a gone father and a mother like Aunt Fanny, Theodore is as much an orphan as I am. Downstairs, we open the window Aunt Fanny slammed earlier. The screen is flimsy, and Theodora extracts it with ease. We've never done this before. We've always planned to, but our fear of what Aunt Fanny would do if she caught us, how she'd lock us in our bedrooms until we're old maids, has held us back. Even now, we're afraid, but tonight we have somewhere to be. We drop silently to the grass, and Theodora glances up at the house, her eyes gray. Maybe we should go back. Maybe. I inhale, and the sad sweetness of dead leaves fills my lungs. It's so perfect out here, cold and lovely in the bitter October air. Look at you, too. Mrs. Marshall leans off her front porch, a golden bowl of trick-or-treat goodies in her arms. You look beautiful. The compliment's a lie, but it makes us smile, and that's enough to keep us going. Children swarm the streets like red ants, chortling and grinning, vampire teeth dropping from their lips. Not everybody's so happy. Though she's blocks away, we hear Aunt Fanny with her bullhorn. Put down the treat bags and save yourselves. Theodore and I roll our eyes. It wasn't always like this. Back before everybody but us left her, Aunt Fanny would dress Theodora in frilly little costumes each October. I have trouble believing it's true, but in the back of my photo album, there's a gossamer snapshot of our two families at Halloween, whole and happy and good. I'm arrayed in a pointed witch hat, and Theodora is a little bat with black lace wings. Our dads were World War II fighter pilots, and our mothers were the silliest and most beautiful of all. Aunt Fanny, with fake blood caked thick as jello around her mouth, and my mother in a satin sorceress outfit, like the one I imagined wearing. I can't remember that night, or any other Halloween with my family. But every year, instead of the scents of candied apples or chocolate bars or bonfires, I always long for something floral and light and lovely. Gardenias, I whisper. Halloween always makes me think of gardenias. Isn't that strange? Theodore shrugs. Maybe, but we're strange people. I laugh because she's right. We're the weird ones, and not in the good Adams family kind of way. Weird in the we-don't-go-to-school-like-other-kids way. Aunt Fanny protects us against the world, sequestering the three of us in that big, soulless house where there will be no abandonment or accidents or anything else to spoil our stasis. We'll live there, and we'll die there, and nothing will happen in between. Except for tonight. Tonight we're free. Theodora grips a paper between her trembling fingers. The invite to the Halloween party, at a graveyard no less, is cut in the shape of a pumpkin. 
How cute, she says, like the boys who invited us are our friends. They're not. For years, they hurled insults and rocks at us. But that was before Theodore and I turned 15, and our bodies shifted overnight as though under a lycanthropic curse. Aunt Fanny bought a bucket of bulky sweaters and even made us wear them in the summer. But it did no good. You can't cover up nature. And nature was what made Theodore and I blossom in tandem. Now, instead of throwing shoes at us, the boys throw themselves, circling our block three times a day and tucking little notes in the back of our mailbox for us to find. It's a shame, too, because given a choice, I'd pick stones over lovesick boys any day. We slip into the cemetery, past shadows of tombstones and obelisks, The boys wait for us, leaning like James Dean against a mausoleum. There are only three of them. This isn't a party. This feels more like a setup. Nice costumes, they say. The first boy with a name like Brett or Buck or Bill thrusts a brown bag wrapped bottle at us. I drop my nose and recoil. He grunts. What did you think we were going to do tonight? Bob for apples? This is a mistake, and Theodore and I know that now. But we can't leave. Not without the boys cajoling us, or following us, or even tossing rocks at us again. So we stay, and we drink, and we smile half-heartedly. We're too afraid to do anything else. After the bottle is empty... The boys whisper to each other and then look at us. We've got a game for you. They lead us behind the tallest mausoleum to an open grave with an open casket. Ladies first. No way, Theodora says and grasps my arm. The boys grin. If you're too scared, we could always find your aunt to calm you down. She's downtown, isn't she? That's it. This is a setup. And now we can't say no. Because there's Coffin Scary and there's Aunt Fanny Scary. Hands threaded together, Theodore and I climb inside the casket and curl like sleeping zygotes. Sweet dreams, the boys say and seal us in. Soon their voices seep through the pine lid. They'll probably cry. I hope they do. Then we can comfort them. We'll hold you close, girls. Theodora tightens her fingers around mine. They don't think we can hear them. I scoff, or they don't care. A strange noise rumbles above us, and at once my stomach curls, and I dry heave in the dark. They're burying us, I rasp. Cackling, the boys shovel more earth on us until the coffin walls lurch under the weight. It's only a prank. Theodora says, and her voice is small and scared and a thousand miles away. 
I part my lips to scream, but everything goes silent. We wait for an eternity. When I can't bear the quiet a moment longer, I push against the heavy lid and we topple onto cold tile. The graveyard is gone and we're standing inside the lobby of a ramshackle building. That's some trick, Theodore says, the tips of her dark eyelashes flecked with a flourish of cobwebs. You think the boys did this? I shake my head. They couldn't plan something this elaborate. There's no exit on this floor, only an elevator at the end of the hall. We skulk inside. Sixth floor, a crystal voice says, and the doors slide closed. It is Halloween, Theodore shivers next to me. Maybe this is a haunted house. Maybe, I say. The elevator rises, and when the doors slither open again, a little girl with blonde pigtails stands on the other side, scowling. You're late, she says, and taps an invisible watch on her wrist. I was worried you might stay in that coffin all night. She grabs our hands and hauls us down a hallway. This place is all hallways, and no people. Nobody except this strange little girl. I dig my feet into the ground, but against the polished slick of the floor, I just keep sliding forward. And who are you? My name's Victoria. The girl doesn't stop pulling, and we don't stop following. Dragging us like dead weight behind her, she's stronger than all three of those boys we left back in the graveyard. And you're Theodora and Leslie. But we don't have time for chit-chat. Your Aunt Fanny will be heading home soon, and we've got a Halloween night to celebrate. We've already tried to do that, Theodora says, and the note of defeat rings hollow in her voice. We aren't very good at celebrating. Victoria stops at the end of the hall. That's because you haven't celebrated with me yet. She opens the last door and flicks on the light. Theodora and I peer inside. Thousands of Halloween costumes line endless rows, floor to ceiling. It's dizzying, all the colors and fabrics repeating in a beautiful mosaic to a vanishing point. Victoria stands inside the door as Theodora and I wander among the festive inventory. It's as if before this moment, we were living in black and white. And now here we are, in a technicolor dream. I bury my face in the scratchy white layers of a hoop skirt. Where did these come from? Victoria bites her lips and considers carefully. Uh, from friends, she says. And from other visitors. Theodora fidgets, her hands fumbling with the seams of Mrs. Marshall's oversized sack dresses. Can we maybe try something on? Victoria laughs. <laughs> of course. That's why I brought you here. We squeal and pull matching dresses off the racks. There are two changing rooms in the corner, and Theodora and I each dash into one. We emerge as ladies of the Regency era, big feathery hats and sun umbrellas in tow. Beneath the bright lights, Victoria waits for us, 
an eager smile on her face. She didn't use a changing room, didn't move at all from the spot where we left her. It doesn't matter. She's dressed in an outfit that matches ours, a long-sleeved white lace gown with a basket of fresh flowers on her arm. Laughing, the three of us stroll along the perimeter of the room, parasols twirling in our hands and petals dancing to the floor to mark our path. I must find myself a Mr. Darcy, says Theodora in her best attempt at a British accent. I'll have no more Wickhams, and those boys that buried us alive were most certainly Wickhams. That they were, I say, and run my fingers along another row of costumes. Next, we choose pirates, and after that, zombies, and finally, witches. Each time Theodora and I debut from the dressing rooms in our new outfits, Victoria is already wearing an identical costume. But her celebration doesn't end there. She coaxes us into playing silly games like pin the stem on the pumpkin and we bob for apples and eat so much candy our bellies ache with sugar. This is a real Halloween I say, reclined among empty foil wrappers, and Theodora giggles in agreement. We're not done yet, says Victoria. Pick one more costume, Theodora. Her gait steady, Theodora strolls down a row and tugs a sleeve that peeks out at the end of a rack. A musky and lonesome scent fills the air. It's a man's jacket a World War II fighter pilot costume. She fumbles in the pocket and removes a tobacco tin. This was my father's. Theodora touches the collar and her fingers slide down the front lapel as though believing if she searches the seams long enough she might find her father hiding there. The pain buried deep surfaces on her face and tears stream down her cheeks like wax from a prayer flame. I wish she never left. She swallows a sob. Not that it matters what I think. It does matter, I say. Yes, it does. Victoria steps toward her. You think, if you can forget, it can't hurt you. But that's not how it works. It's okay to remember, even if sometimes you don't want to. Tears glinting in her eyes, Theodora slips inside the jacket. At first, I fear she'll collapse under the weight of its memories. But instead, she smiles and tugs it closer. She looks so happy, she could almost fly. Victoria takes my hand. Now, Leslie, I have something special for you, too. I'm not so sure. She pulls down a hanger, and there it is. My mother's sorceress costume. I inch toward it, terrified that if I move too quickly, it will dissolve like mist. It's okay, Victoria says. You can put it on. The dress fits me perfectly. 
I wrap the fabric around my body like a shroud, and I swear for a moment I feel my mother here with me, in this dress so light and sweet and lovely. A dress that smells like gardenias. My mother's perfume, I whisper. She used to wear a gardenia perfume. How could I forget? But you haven't forgotten. Victoria stands before me, and in this light, she glows, almost like an archangel. And your mother hasn't forgotten you either. A warmth fills my chest, and I entwine Theodora's hand with mine. At once, that childhood Halloween from so long ago returns to us, as though it were only yesterday, back when we were still children, safe and happy and without fear. Somewhere far away, a clock strikes ten and a sad smile flashes across Victoria's face. It's time. Dress-up is over. Theodora shakes her head. But why can't we stay here, with you? I'm sorry, this place isn't meant for residents like you. We want to argue, but this is Victoria's home, and we trust her. Our feet heavy beneath us, we file out of the room, And Victoria flicks off the light and seals up the hall of costumes like a tomb. Down the long hallway, she escorts us to the elevator. Our perfect Halloween night is almost over. Theodore grips the collar of the jacket. What about our costumes? You take those with you. They're yours now. My heart in my throat. I peer at Victoria. May we come back next year? She grins. I would be disappointed if you didn't. The elevator doors slide shut and the whole world goes dark. When at last the shadows snake away, we're standing in front of the mausoleum. The boy's laughter pierces the night like a scythe and we stroll around to the open grave. Hello again, we say. They turn to us and their faces go gaunt. What's wrong, boys? Theodora asks. Maybe, I say, they want us to comfort them. But comfort is far from their minds. They glance at the mound of dirt and at us and again at the dirt. Their hands quivering, they drop the shovel and back away as if they're fleeing a bomb. Then they turn and scamper into the night. They won't throw themselves at us anymore. And they won't throw stones either. The next time they see us, they'll run and we'll laugh and it will be glorious. But right now, it's our turn to run through waning October past the last trick-or-treat stragglers and along paths that seemed so frightening only an hour ago. Nothing's frightening now. For the first time, we're wearing our past, but it's not wearing us. We're not afraid. We're not trapped. We're just us. 
On the streets we pass Aunt Fanny, her bullhorn wilting at her side. Girls! Faster! I whisper to Theodora, and she giggles as we cut down the nearest alley. Back home, we secure the screen and shove the costumes in the attic, just as the front door bursts open. Where are you two? Be right there. We bound down the stairs to the dining room, where Aunt Fanny glares at us. You left this house, didn't you? We smile and shake our heads, completely unconvincing. She takes a step closer. If you're lying to me, if I may, Mrs. Marshall stands outside the open window. The girls were here all night. I can vouch for them. Her brow knit. Aunt Fanny marches to the window to close it, but I intercept. Mrs. Marshall, I say, the next time you're baking, can we help? Aunt Fanny frowns. I don't think, of course you girls can, Mrs. Marshall says. I would be honored to have you in my kitchen. Theodore beams. How about tomorrow? That sounds wonderful. Aunt Fanny shuts the window and turns to lecture us, but something catches her eye first. On the table, there's a foil-wrapped box with a pretty pink bow on it. She inspects the gift tag. It claims it's for me, she says, and scores a painted fingernail beneath the wrapping paper. Inside is a tiny bat costume with black lace wings, dainty as spider thread. This is your first Halloween costume, Aunt Fanny murmurs to Theodora. I thought I'd gotten rid of it. She turns the gift over and over in her hands, as though she might wring our childhoods out of it. Her entire face goes very quiet, all the residual anger melting away like ice on a burner. With eyes unfocused, she tucks her bullhorn back in the closet, and for the first time, we genuinely hope we might never see it again. Still marveling at the costume and mumbling secret words and memories to herself, Aunt Fanny prepares three mugs of hot cocoa, something she's never done, not so long as we can remember. Theodora and I sit at the table, our cold hands wrapped around the warm ceramic, and without saying a word, we smile, each of us thinking the same thing. Autumn is here, and this time, we'll never let it go. Thanks for tuning in to today's episode of The Lift. On behalf of everyone here at The Lift, Happy Halloween! Take a moment to head on over to victoriaslift.com forward slash S2E0 to see the artwork and read the full credits. If you enjoy the show and you'd like to be a part of supporting us, you can do that over at support.victoriaslift.com. You can follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and rate and review the show in iTunes. All of those things mean a lot to us. Once again, happy Halloween.